0: listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Toumaire. Hello, I'm John Paulette.
1: And I'm Mary Jo Toumaire.
0: Okay, Mary, we're both uh, watching, paying close attention to the uh, hearings of who I'm now calling ACB like yep. AOC,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Which is a good thing. So we have the ACA, which is going to be decided by ACB. But I, I tell you something I'm, I'm frankly really troubled by. You know, I know she and everybody who gets nominated for the Supreme Court does not want to answer questions about how, how they'll rule. And I, I get that and I actually, I respect that. That makes sense. But here's the formulation that I think she's been depending on. That her, these are her words, not mine, her personal views will not uh, come into play. She will look at the case, and she's been very careful to explain uh, that in front of her, the law that applies, but her personal views will not be a part. And then she went on to uh, be specific and say that within her group of associates and, and friends, she has many people who have different personal views than she does, uh, and that she is able to accept that. Now all of this seems to me to speak to an idea of tolerance. I have my views, other people have their views, but I don't let that become a part of my ruling as, as a judge. This all seems very reasonable but here's where i'm i'm troubled with it does this suggest that everything all truth all morality rightness wrongness is purely subjective that it just depends upon what your personal views are i have my personal views and as it happens I'm going to have a very, very powerful lifetime appointment. So I get to kind of use those, but I recognize other people have personal views. Does this suggest that there is nothing that is objective, universal, absolute, that it's just all a matter of opinion?
1: No, that's, I don't think that's what she's saying. I think what she's saying is that the law, as she understands her job in terms of interpreting the law, whether that's statutory or constitutional, or the Constitution, um, may or may not, um, let me say this a little, her there may not be results in her decisions that always line up with her personal views because the law may not allow that result. So in a perfect world, the way lawyers look at, courts and going to court is that how the judge feels about something is not going to determine the outcome of a case that's because the law will determine the outcome of the case and just you know a little bit of a primer in the united states we we operate under what's constitutional law and also common law and then we have statutory law right so we have all three of those things so depending on what the case is doing, is it asking a constitutional question, a common law question, or a statutory interpretation, that precedent, they keep talking about stare decisis, and that's basically what that is, will help the judges come to the right outcome. The fault in that, so it sounds so reasonable, and we're all like, sure, we all agree with that. The fault in that is that personal legal views or your view of the the law and what it should or shouldn't be doing will determine outcomes. It's just the nature of a human being. She's both a human being and a lawyer. So some of the cases, and I think we've talked about this before, my specialty, which has been employment law during my career, some of the cases they've talked about, um, one in particular this morning was an age discrimination case where she came down on the side that she decided in the Seventh Circuit, um, which is your circuit, by the way, she came down on the side that the statute did not protect against age discrimination in applications so that you can discriminate against people uh, in age when they're applying for a job, even though you couldn't discriminate against them in firing, you know, in terms and conditions of employment. So she says, I'm a textualist. I'm gonna read the text. If the text allows this outcome, I'm gonna get there. People who are on the more liberal side, like me, would read that and say that hiring, you don't have to say hiring exactly, that it's a term and condition of employment and that you couldn't discriminate against somebody in hiring. You know, in other words, I can't look at an application and say, wow, they graduated from college in 1979. That means they must be in the early 60s. I don't want to hire somebody who's 60. That's how I would, so if I were advising, so I've never been a judge, but if I were advising someone, I'd say, You can't use that technicality to discriminate against someone.
0: Well, and I mean, in answer to my problem at the beginning, am I reading you right to say that what the objective thing is, is the law? Now, there's some shake in that because it it depends upon how we read the law and that ultimately for us as Americans, we would say, the objective reality is the Constitution as we understand it. Am I on good ground Yeah, here? I mean,
1: that would be one way to say it. I, I, I think, you know, I don't know if you've ever had to go to a lawyer about anything, but when you do, you ask the question, you think this is simple, straightforward, they should have an answer. And many times the answer is, it depends. That's what lawyers will oftentimes answer clients' questions because are, there are very few hard and fast rules in the Constitution or in statutory law. Because I always tell young people and they say I'll think about law school, and I say, Well, if you love puzzles, you'll be love being a lawyer because you have a set of facts, you have a set of rules, and you're trying to put those things together in the way that makes sense. That's basically what lawyers do. And Okay, but I'm sorry. So go so ahead. that's that's in a sense that's what she's saying. There are going to be facts. They're going to come to me, facts specific to case and controversy. She's talked a lot about that. And I will have these rules, whether they're written in the constitution or in this in the statute, or there have there are precedents upon which I have to rely. And that's how I'm going to come okay. to my decisions.
0: Yep. Yeah. But now something that was new to me, frankly, has come up. Because I understand precedents. I I understand starry diseases. I actually studied Latin in high school and college. So even though I'm not a lawyer, I know the word. But now we are saying some precedents are more precedent than others. And in fact, there are certain things that she refers to, and apparently others in the legal community, as super precedents, which cannot be overruled no matter what. So to be specific, uh, Brown v. Uh, Board of Education is a super precedent and could not be overturned, if I'm understanding you right. But Roe v. Wade, even though it was uh, uh, reaffirmed, what, about 10 years later, 20 years later, it is a precedent that could be overturned. Am I reading her
1: right? There's been so much conversation about that fascinating conversation to be perfectly honest with you because what she appears to be saying is that you don't get to be a a case or a precedent doesn't get to be a super precedent if the case is still being litigated in other words there's still cases out there questioning the underlying precedent i think that that's faulty because theoretically, there could be cases to come up and and work its way through the system on Brown versus Board of Education. This is what I thought about when they were talking about that. Imagine a situation where a school district says, I think in in much the same way as you have uh, girls and boys educated separately, and many people see a lot of value of that, particularly for girls. So let's say you had a school system that say, if we took the African-American kids and we pulled them out and because we think they'd be better educated without the influence of these white kids, you could see that happening. And what, what are you then arguing about? Is it, you know, separate but equal? How do you define equal? I mean, what if somebody brought a lawsuit to say that how we are funding, let's say in Ohio, for example, our schools, the effect of that is that you have all black school systems and they are not equal. So the funding mechanism itself is wrong and violates Brown v. Board. You, then to me, is, is Brown v. Board a super precedent or is it just a precedent? So I thought that that was well, very fallacious, that argument.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a terrible bit of reasoning. And I, I think your argument is exactly right. The only thing I'd say is I don't think this is hypothetical at all. You and I lived in Cleveland through the terrible fights about busing. Uh, about Remember the master that was mm-hmm. appointed to handle desegregation? Judge Batiste. Mm-hmm. Name Judge Mattissi, uh there. We lived through that. Uh, you know, the Senate uh, or the Congress uh, r- repealing parts of the Voting Rights Act is not directly on Brown v. Education, but we're, you know, we're skirting around these parts of racial disc- or segregation that were central to Brown v. Education. And I could easily imagine people arguing because we know it's the reality that our schools are heavily segregated, or within schools like Shaker Heights, like Oak Park River Forest, like Evanston, premier schools, that within the school, there is great racial disparity in achievement. I think the problem is she, she sets up a standard there that kind of says, well, if we're all pretty calm with it, then it's okay. I, I know I'm exaggerating your position a little bit, but not very much. I think the better standard would be similar to what I was talking about in terms of intrinsic evil, intrinsic good. Does Brown uh, v. Education go to a principle that is so fundamental to who we are as a nation and what our constitution is that that question cannot cannot be rattled now i understand that still begs for are people going to agree with that but it then leads to i think questions about roe v wade uh that you know they came up both in the Roe ruling and why have i just blanked on the really crucial uh ruling in 1990 casey?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. casey casey of course but casey Essentially affirms that Brown v. Wade, not only or uh, Roe v. Wade, not only reasoned well in terms of privacy, but it adds a new principle that it found uh, about the harm that would be done that it found in Roe v. Wade. It feels to me like if the court has gone back and affirmed the principles in an earlier ro- ruling, that feels like a whole lot better reason to think that we have a super precedent than whether or not a lot of people yeah, are questioning. And you know, that
1: super pro- uh, precedent is uh, like um, academic construct. It's not a constitutional law construct. So I, you know, them spending so much time talking about that, I think was just a way to get her to seem acceptable, like she's not going to um, get on the court in first possible opportunity, try to overturn Roe.
0: Well, and this relates to Roe, but it relates to this morning with Lindsey Graham. They've been going on and on about this. You know, there's no reason to think she's going to get on and overturn Roe. You have no reason to believe that she's going to overturn the ACA. Uh, She's going to call the balls and strikes as she sees them. But setting all that up, Lindsey Graham begins today, as he began yesterday, giving a speech of why the ACA must go, of why it's wrong, it's unfair to South Carolina. You heard all the stuff he went through. And he goes from there to say, oh, okay, let's get back to why uh, uh, the justice that we're hearing here, or the judge, is going to be totally fair. This whole thing to me seems so incredibly disingenuous. Sure,
1: And, you know, Grassley did pretty much the same thing. And he he went through a litany of things that the Republicans have done to protect pre-existing conditions and prescription, you know, uh, reduce prescription costs, all that kind of thing. And I thought to myself, okay, if you guys want to legislate that stuff, legislate that stuff, but you. And the president, the Department of Justice has brought this case to the courts because what you're hoping for is the courts will do what you do not have the courage to do. And so everybody uses the courts. Both sides do this when they don't have the um, courage to legislate and to do the job they should do as an elected official.
0: I know. And and we have to wind up. You mentioned Chuck Grassley. It's not like I had lots of respect for Grassley before, but last night being uh, interviewed by Judy Woodruff, uh, she confronted him as we have so many people. Why uh, was this so much different uh, with Merrick Garland? Uh, And he looked right in the camera and he said, I promise the people of my state that as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, I would not bring forth uh, a candidate for Supreme Court justice uh, in the year before an election. I am no longer the chairman of that committee, and I have kept my promise. Lindsey Graham has brought it forward. I wish I was making this up. And I thought, "Oh, oh, Chuck, <laughs> you're so cute. You're, you're the you're the cutest guy I ever saw. Did you oh, think that up Lord. all by yourself?" honest to god Uh, all right we gotta get back to work right sibling talk is a
1: jmp production theme song by david paulette